What's up, everybody? I hope you're doing well today. It is Thursday, February 28th, and this is Rafael Garcia along with Sharon Humes back for episode 114 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. How are you doing today, Sharon? How's everything going? Oh, I'm good, man. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a crazy long week. It's finally coming to an end. Hopefully, I can get through tomorrow with no problems and not ending up in jail. Do you got bail money on deck? Uh, yeah, man. You just let me know. Tax right, return season. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I know you got. Your, I know you got four dependents over there too. So look. So listen. I may need some bail money set up for uh, this weekend. All right, man. Just let me know. Uh, let me see. Let's see. Let me tweet out this link real quick. So you know what we got to talk about this week. Uh, for this week, right? Um, well, I'm assuming the event, but there's been so much going on, I can't even guess, man. You know what, though? I actually have no, like, I definitely want to talk about this fight between Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway. So let's start there, because obviously we have a, a fight card to talk about today. But before we jump into that, I want to talk about this uh, lightweight title fight. I almost messed up and said uh, featherweight, but this title fight in April for the interim lightweight title between Poirier and Holloway. I wrote about this for MMA ratings. It's not up yet um, from what I see, but I had some pretty interesting things to say about this fight. But before I dive into it, Sean, why don't you let me know what you think about it? Don't, uh, and, and, and don't worry about matchup or anything that right now, we're going to break that down when it's time. Talk to me about what you think about this fight from just a strictly wise it being booked standpoint. Uh, it's really interesting. It it seems like the UFC is all in on Max Holloway. This is his third potential shot at the light lightweight title because uh, what was it? He was supposed to fight Khabib, and then there was one other time they were going to have him move in for a title fight. So this is like the third time they've tried to push him into a into a lightweight title fight, and I guess they finally got the job done. It just really seems like they're they're trying to get access to the Hawaiian market, and they're all in on Max Holloway. I've never seen them. Outside of Connor and maybe if maybe Uriah Faber, I've never seen them be so open in, in their desire to put a fighter into a certain platform or put him on a certain platform to perform. And uh, that, that's the biggest thing about this. All the other lightweights are basically getting jumped over by a guy who's never competed at the weight class in the UFC and a guy who's supposed to be an active defending champion in a division that, he, I mean, even though he's essentially cleaned it out, there's still two or three interesting fights you can make there. And you're just... Basically, almost giving him a version of the Connor treatment. You still have work to do at your weight class, but we're going to push you ahead and let you be the name guy and let you be the guy who pushes um, our as a, be, be the face of our organization moving forward. That's actually what I wrote about um, for the site this weekend because it just didn't seem right. I mean, we're sitting here and we have a division in lightweight that's basically stacked. They have guys up and down the roster that could be considered challengers for the title, specifically in Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson. And I looked at this fight from an angle as in, why did they bring up Holloway for this fight rather than book it between Poirier and Ferguson? We know that uh, Namarga Madoff is out because he's, he's decided to sit out his suspension rather than work to get it shortened. And he's going to be out until I think November is the time frame. But here they have two men who could easily be number one contenders in their own right. And instead of booking this fight for the interim title, they, they went with a 
featherweight. And the rumor, original rumor was they were trying to book the fight between Ferguson and Holloway again, which would have just jumped over Poirier. So is there something missing that Holloway has that neither Poirier or uh, Ferguson have established for themselves as maybe someone who can, the UFC can maybe leverage and build their, um, build that division around? Um, I, I mean, as, as I understand it, Ferguson, I mean, Ferguson turned that fight down, but they've never really, it doesn't seem like they've ever been sold on Ferguson. I mean, he was interim champion and they stripped him for essentially no reason. So, I mean, it's just like, he's got an exciting style. He's a little bit of a weird guy, but he's got an interesting story. He puts on good fights. He's on a winning streak. Um, I, I don't know why the UFC wouldn't back him. I really think they just feel that Max is a guy who who's built up a fan base and has I think they're basically trying to make up for what they did with BJ Penn because BJ Penn probably is a big star and he probably should have been much bigger than he was. And I think they see in Max Holloway, a guy with a more sustainable style, a guy who's more of a professional as far as his preparation and maintaining his conditioning and his skill set, and a guy who could just build on what BJ Penn has already started. I mean, they've never had a UFC in Hawaii. And I really think they're trying to, if he wins the title, the next, his first defense will most likely be in Hawaii. I think they're really trying to get that market. And they really think he's the guy who can push the, who can push the brand forward. And they need somebody who's looked dominant, a guy who's exciting, and a guy who who really hasn't looked who's looked pretty much invincible in the past two or three years. And Fourier, as good as he's been, hasn't looked necessarily invincible. And Ferguson, as good as he's been, hasn't necessarily looked invincible. All the fights Ferguson won, he's been on the verge of losing. And as far as Poirier, he's been dominant, but. It's still hard to get that knockout to Michael Johnson out of out of your head, and even all the fights with Pettis and Alvarez, it wasn't like he was just crushing either one of them. They they both had their moments. Holloway's looking like the best pound for pound fighter out there right now, and it looks like they're trying to give him another claim to that title by giving him the light the lightweight championship opportunity. Um, let me. I wonder when did uh, Max Holloway fight Brian Ortega? You remember what the show that was? Um, oh man, is it 2.30? Nah, it didn't be. I'm interested in seeing what the pay-per-view buy rate was for that fight. Give me one second. It was 2.31, so let me see. I'm curious. I don't remember hearing anything about that. Um, okay, so I'm seeing that it was estimated around 2.30 to 300. Um. Yeah, two thirty to three hundred, which I mean isn't a isn't a substantial number. It's not huge in any shape or form. So I'm I'm wondering what. So I guess that um, Hawaiian market really is where the UFC is trying to kind of saturate them uh, or not saturate themselves, uh, cement themselves. I guess again, they're they're probably a little bit um, still mad that Bellator got out there first. Yeah, I mean that, that's what I said when um. McFarland had her fight. Lingale had fight there. A lot of people told me it wasn't as big as the UFC event, and I get all that. But it's really funny how the, the second biggest organization in North America somehow managed to take advantage of that market, and the UFC still hadn't found a way to maximize that. And they've had the biggest, really the only name U- Hawaiian fighter, as far as elite fighters and as far as name fighters, they've had that that guy under under lock and key for what seven, ten years, and they never found their way over the over to Hawaii. And he's the guy who generally puts on three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand buys every time he's on pay per view. Like, how do you how do you not make that happen? How have you had that gold mine sitting right underneath you at the peak of his abilities and not found a way to have a fight, an event in his hometown, in his home state? 
Yeah, it, it's definitely it'll, it'll be interesting to see if that's the that's what they push for. Um, if he does take this title and become an, an interim champion, uh, uh, I don't know if it still counts as champ champ or whatever the hell they call it. If he has a a lineal title and an interim title, whatever it is, but he will have two belts over his shoulder. Um, we will probably we will break this fight down as it gets closer, and, and there's other news going on around that, of course, because Israel Adesanya and uh, Kelvin Gastelum are the co-main event on that fight card as well, and they're fighting for the interim middleweight title. So that is going to shape up to be a pretty interesting card. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that they continue to build these big cards uh, throughout the year. So I want to move on, and let's kind of turn our attention towards this weekend's event with UFC 235, where we have one John Jones defending his title um, rather quickly. Uh, just fought, when, did he, when did he last fight? January? Yeah, I think so. Like It could have been more than two, two months, maybe a month ago, a month and a half. Let's see, let's see, let's see. He fought December, December, so... Um, yeah, about, yeah, about. 2019. So, or 2018, excuse me. So that was his last fight. And, I mean, what do we have here? We have Jones against Smith. And I'm laughing at myself because this is the first time that Jones has fought in such close proximity since 2013 when he fought in April and September of that year. Since then, he's fought one time per year. Uh, ever since because of his um, frequent transgressions. But, you know, we won't talk about that, even though there was news about some additional um, questionable tests that came out today. We're not going to pay too much attention to that. Let's just talk about this fight here between Anthony Smith and Alexander Gustafsson, where Smith is being painted as a massive, massive underdog. What are your thoughts about this fight here, Sean? Well, I mean, Smith's a good fighter, but he is a massive uh underdog the fact of the matter is he hasn't shown anything as far anything elite as far as the skill set not at range not in the clinch not at mid-range not kicking not not boxing not wrestling not grappling essentially the the hallmark of his fighting game is his physicality and his durability and the majority of his fights he's overwhelmed guys with aggression being physical and being and being in the bravery that comes when you you know who you can take what's coming back at you. That's how he's able to get those knockouts over Shogun. He didn't respect him. He didn't fear him. He came right in and blew him out. Same thing with I think Rashad Evans. He he just was too big, too strong, too aggressive. Evans couldn't scare him off. Evans couldn't get away from him, and he ran him over against Ozdemir. Ozdemir was beating him from pillar to post, but eventually just gassed. And then once he had a moment, once he had a he showed he showed a lapse in judgment and lapse in lapse in his poise. Uh, Smith just roughed him up, took him down, and submitted him. Roughed him up and submitted him. But when you look at it on paper, you don't see any area where Smith has a decided advantage over John Jones, and that's why he's considered an underdog because Jones is considered one of the more durable fighters at light heavyweight, if not the most durable fighter. He's the most versatile fighter, and on top of that, he's he's one of the most physical fighters in mixed martial arts. Period. Everybody says how physical and how strong John is. And people say how strong Anthony Smith is, how durable and physical he is. But we haven't seen Smith against guys who can match that physicality or match that conditioning. Now he's facing a guy who's more skilled, more experienced at the elite level, got more a wider balance of skills, got a deeper set of skills, and is at the worst, at least as physical and as durable as Anthony Smith. So when you look at it that way, there's not a lot of ways for him to win this fight. So let me ask a question here. 
you said there aren't a lot of ways for him to win that fight, which is not, which is basically what a lot of people are saying. What is the path to, for him to get that, that, that victory? Uh, Luke Thomas had a pretty good breakdown of the fight on MMA Analyst this week where he talked about a couple of different keys for um, Anthony Smith. But what are your thoughts about that? How do you see him getting to the title? Well, there's two things. There's two things he could do, but one of them is very unlikely. One thing you could do is, is similar to what what um, Alex Gustafson did. I still believe that if you can get Jones to kind of, or even Machida did to an extent, if you can get Jones to pressure you and you have good enough footwork where you can circle around, you can cut some angles, you can get him to over pursue. You open up some takedown attempts. You open up some counters because Jones, as long as he is, when he's pressuring, if a guy's kind of moving away from him. He might tend to reach. He might tend to overextend. It gives you a little bit more space in timing him. Gives you a little bit a chance to find the patterns and what he's doing. And it forces him. It forces him to come forward, which gives you the initiative because you're you're seeing what he has. He's showing you, and then you can counter appropriately. I don't know that Smith can do that because he's never shown that, that kind of footwork. He's never shown that kind of defensive composure, and he's never shown that kind of fluidity and athleticism necessary to. To pull that off, so that that's a way that that's a path to victory, but it's not a path that within his skill set. Most likely, what Anthony Smith is going to do is try to extend John Jones and really punish him, make him work at every level. Because at some point in fights, Jones takes control, and when he takes control, essentially he's making you work while he's picking his shots, controlling the pace, basically manhandling you, and then eventually breaking you down and finishing you. So I'm assuming that what is going to do is he's going to come out there. He's going to try to counter everything that Jones throws at him. He's going to try to get his hands on Jones and match Jones' physicality and his strength. And he's going to basically make Jones fight in every spot. If Jones get a takedown, he's going to make him fight for control. He's going to make him fight for the takedown. He's going to make him pay for every inch of ground he gets. He's going to make him have to be defensively aware of any or any strike that he puts out there. Because unlike Gustafsson, Anthony Smith does have a right hand. Anthony Smith—he's not technical, but he's a little sneaky. I mean, he's a 45 fight, 44 fight veteran. He's crafty. He's got some seasoning. He's got some composure. What he doesn't have is, is just a really, really solid skill set to me. So what I think he's going to do is try to force a pace, make Jones work at every range, touch Jones wherever he can—shoulder, chest, leg, knee, hip—punish him, break him down, and then overwhelm him. Because he—he he believes that John Jones hasn't. Hasn't been fought. That's what he's basically saying. He's saying John Jones needs to be in control and beating people up. But once you get John Jones in a fight, that John Jones will crack. John Jones' skills will fall apart. John Jones will break underneath the pressure. And that's what I expect him to do. Um, it should be a disciplined approach. It'll be aggressive. It'll be a disciplined aggression. And he's just going to pick his spots, set up what he's going to think is going to be a finishing, a finishing blow or a finishing. So you're breaking up there a little bit, and I want to ask a very important question here. If you were in Smith's corner, what is the most dangerous weapon you would have him prepare for heading into this fight against who, against the person that many people argue, arguably consider to be the greatest of all time? The biggest thing is going to be is going to be the the range. A lot of the things that, ha- that John Jones likes to do, like the elbows where he comes over the top, his knees, his clinches, it's because he has an extensive range as a result of his long, his punches and his kicks. So what I would tell Smith to do is kind of make sure you're not, make sure you're not giving up that range. Make sure you're willing to use your long weapons, especially your kicks to the legs and to the body, 
because if Jones doesn't have that range, that pocket of safety where you can't get to him, but he can pressure you and you're backing up and you're just getting chopped up by front kicks and kicks to the knee and long punches and jabs and flying knees and elbows coming over your hand, top, top of your hand. If you can combat his distance management and you can combat his range a little bit, it makes him a little bit uncomfortable. And if he's uncomfortable, you might get him to fight a little bit at a higher pace that he doesn't want to, or you might make him get a little over anxious to where you can start landing your counter shots and maybe get to his body and attempt your own takedowns and make the fight dirty. That's one of the main things that um, Gustafsson did early on in their fight. He didn't concede that striking range, which was, he didn't he didn't concede distance. He made Jones pressure him, and he filled that space with long punches and long kicks. So the biggest thing to me is Smith needs to make sure that Jones is not fighting at the range he wants. Once the range is gone, his ability to control the pace, his ability to dictate the pace, dr- drops off dramatically. Interesting thoughts there. Um, the way I and I was I was uh, excuse me, black. I was very intrigued with the way Smith won his last fight, to where he weathered the storm early and turned things on to finish the fight. I think in the third round. Do you think he can do that against Smith or against Jones? Can he allow himself to take that no. much damage? No, he cannot. Into and expect to be he, able to he, he, finish. He, he cannot. Ozdemir shoot. Ozdemir showed he's a he's a he's a quick burst quick burst front running fighter. Now, had this been before the Gustafsson fight, you might have had something to say. Had it been before the OSP fight or the DC fight, I might have gone with that. But the fact of the matter is, John Jones has been in three difficult fights where he wasn't able to pull away, and he had to gut them out. He got better as the fight went on. His, his mentality didn't break. He got a second win. His gas didn't go. His willingness to engage in, in, in a physical fight never waned. Ozdemir got to a certain point where he didn't want anymore. That's what allowed Smith to finish him. And Smith can't bank on that against John Jones. I know John Jones is known for his fancy techniques and his slick moves and his spinning elbows and stuff. But just like I said, made this comparison before, just like Floyd Mayweather, if it really comes down to it, where he has to fight for his title and fight for his respect, he will bite down on his mouthpiece and he will exchange. He will take your best shots. And if you don't put him out, He's going to walk you down. He's going to finish you. He cannot. He cannot allow Jones to get into an advantageous position like that. Jones will crush him. Jones is a finisher. Ozdemir is a front runner. There's a big difference. Just because you're finishing guys quick doesn't mean you're a finisher. It means you're overwhelming guys. But when you walk guys down, you break them down, and you make them give you that submission, or you make them give up. That's when you know you're a finisher. And Jones is a world class finisher. So let me ask you this last question before we move on to that Coleman event there. If Jones, how, is there anything Jones can do in this fight to solidify himself as the greatest of all time, or is Smith not a big enough name to take that claim? Does he have to win this fight and do more, or is there a big, is there a way that he can pull it out here and get that, uh, get that situation? Let's say he has like a fight that was like the first fight with um, Alexander uh, Gustafsson where he had to kind of pull it out at, at the end. Does he have to go through something like that for this to, pe- to put him over the hill as the greatest fighter of all time? I, I don't think so. Being being pushed by Gustafsson, who w- went on a huge run against much better competition than Smith did, is one thing. Being, going back and forth with Daniel Cormier, who was a former Olympian, who was a who already had dominated at heavyweight, is another thing. Even going with OSP, who had fought almost everybody in the division, it, going back and forth with him is a little bit different. Um, what I think for him to really put a stamp on this and to separate himself is Smith's not supposed to be in his level is in his league. 
So he has to treat Smith as if he is not in his league. The great guys don't just beat the other great guys. When they face a guy who's not on their level, they they dominate him. You don't put a third stringer on LeBron. You don't have your backup cute. You don't have your backup cornerback um, trying to stop Brady from completing passes. There's a reason why you don't. You put that kind of, that caliber of opponent against them, they're going to be embarrassed. So what John Jones needs to do to prove that he's the best is a just keep winning because at this point it's going to be consistency that's going to separate him. But when he fights these guys who aren't supposed to be on his level, he needs to treat them as such and get rid of them in a manner that shows they are not on his level. Let me ask you this: Do you so? Did you just compare Anthony Smith to a third-string power forward? And if we're talking, if we're talking skill sets, yeah. I mean, nobody, everybody keeps telling me about Anthony Smith's knockouts. I'm like, who did he knock out? Rashad Evans. He knocked out Shogun Rua. How many times have they been knocked out? How, how many guys have been knock, knocked them out who aren't world-class guys, who aren't world title challengers? A lot of guys at this point. That's not impressive. That fight against Ozdemir, what was really Ozdemir's claim to fame? Two quick out, two quick KO wins? I mean, what, what real skills did he show when somebody put the pressure on him? When he got the pressure put on by Cormier, he folded. The only reason we thought Ozdemir was going to beat Smith was because oh, we figured Ozdemir had learned from facing the best, and he'd be able to make some adjustments. And he had no adjustments. Once the pressure was put on him, again, he folded. Now, I'm saying, now, Anthony Smith may have world-class heart. He has a world-class mentality. He has world-class confidence. He has not shown me world-class skills. And nobody who has shown me his fights has shown me that he has world-class skills. World-class grit, I'll give it to you. World-class aggression, I'll give it to you. World-class belief, give it to you. Even durability, I'll give that to you. But where are the skills? We've seen Jones show all the durability, all the heart, all the intelligence and the skills. I have not seen Smith sh- show the skills. There's a strategy for him to win, but if it comes down to, but unless Jones' durability has slipped or mentally he's not there, when it comes down to the skills, because Jones can match the physicality, he can match the durability. What happens when it comes down to skills? Every fight with John Jones at some point comes down to skills and IQ. And when it comes down to skills and IQ, he's beaten the very best. He did it against Cormier, took his best shots, walked him down took Gus's best shots, walked him down. OSP's best shots, walked him down. And, uh, it's going to be hard. For, it's going to be hard for me to. Exactly. It, it's hard for me to see differently. I'm not saying Smith doesn't have a chance to win because, as I said, there's a path to victory for him. He's just going to have to go through hell to get to it. He's going to have to do something that a better, bigger punchers, better athletes, and better skilled fighters have been unable to do. If John Jones loses this fight, that just tells me more about John Jones than it tells me about Anthony Smith. Because Anthony Smith isn't going to do, and if he wins this fight, I can't imagine him doing anything that I wouldn't expect him to already do. Okay, all right. So let's talk about what is probably, to me, honestly, is, is a more intriguing fight. I am more interested in the in the next two fights than I am the main event, where we have Tyron Woodley defending his welterweight title against Kamara Usman, and this is a fight that is interesting for reasons both inside the cage and outside the cage. Obviously, inside the cage, we have two world-class wrestlers. We have uh, um, an NCAA standout in Woodley. I think he's an All-American, uh, one-time All-American. And he's a former, uh, I think he was wrestling partner of um, Askren over at, Askren, yes. at Mizzou. And you have Kamara Usman, who was a multiple-time champion at a division, was it Division 2 or Division 3? Um, I think it was Division 2 is where he had all of his um success but both of these guys are two um he is a so let me see Kamar Usman is a division two uh 
national champion. So let's talk about this fight here, man, because I want to talk about it outside the cage first. It's interesting the way Usman and Willie got into it on Twitter a few weeks back because the banter started off pretty, I want to say mellow, but pretty par for the course, the way they were taking jabs at each other back and forth, back and forth. But it got ugly once Woodley started hinting at, I don't want to say calling Usman enough time, per se. That's what he did. (laughs) He said that's basically what he did. I mean, it came pretty damn close. And that is probably the, the interesting part of this conversation to me because it's almost as if, is Usman doing what he needs to do to get to the title picture because we remember Dana White has some pretty ridiculous things to say about him as well as he was coming up in, into this title shot situation here and and is Woodley such a anti-hero within the UFC that the promotion is almost hoping Usman takes that t- takes that title off of him and not knowing what type of champion he would be and rather than keeping that belt on uh, Tyron Oh, I mean, they just, Tyron's not easy to work with. Tyron's not a bad guy. He's doing what's best for his family. He's doing what's best for him. The UFC has not, the UFC hasn't shown him the appreciation nor afforded him the the opportunities they've afforded other defending champions. I mean, look at how Max Holloway's getting pushed and look what, look what, look what they're doing to um, Woodley. I mean, Woodley's defended it. He's never been in any drama. He's never had any health issues, but he can't get the fight, the kind of fights he wants. Whereas everybody else is coming back into title fights and coming in with money fights and getting to drop weight and move up weight left and right. But Woodley is kind of forced to go through his mandatory contenders in a manner that nobody else is being forced to. Um, so Woodley's not on the good side of the UFC. He won't play ball with them. He won't fall in line with them. And most importantly, even if he didn't fall in line, he doesn't have a fan base. I keep telling people this. People respect Tyron Woodley. They just don't like him. And if you don't have people who like you enough, to spit, talk with their dollars, to give you the ratings and ratings or the pay-per-view buys, or to demand that they you get a seat at the big table, then the UFC is going to treat you any sort of way. There's lots of guys who are disrespectful to the UFC behind closed doors and in front of cameras, but those guys have fan bases. So the so Dana watches what he says to them, and the UFC watches how they treat them. Um, Tyron doesn't have that, so they don't have to do anything. In fact, he's got more people who don't like him than do. So the UFC doesn't have they can, anything they do to Tyron is roundly supported by the UFC. The most popular fighter in the UFC is the guy who's challenging for Tyron's title every single time. Interesting, I like how you put it that way. Um, I'm I'm always I, I'm I'm a fan of the rabble rouser, for lack of a better term. That's basically my role at work every day. I'm the one that stirs shit up just because we know something's messed up. So I'm I'm a fan of Woodley playing the rabble rouser role and basically being the guy who's willing to say whatever he needs to say to get it off his chest. I'm totally okay with that. Um, I know, and I agree with you. He is doing what's best for his career and his family because he's a prize fighter. So he needs to put himself in a position to not only fight for the biggest prize, but to be able to build revenue off of his accolades and off of his success for as long as he possibly can. And doing what the UFC wants him to do isn't the way to do that. So I'm, I'm totally on board for him handling things his own way you know we just last week we praised gsp for how much control he had over his career and going out the way he did i really think woodley watched that and is trying to do the same thing for himself and i'm not mad at him for it 
at all. And now we have this uh, important fight because, you know, he pushed back Darren Till. He pushed back um, twice. He pushed back Damian Maya. He's defeated, or excuse me, he defeated Darren Till. He pushed back Stephen Thompson twice. Um, and he also defeated Damian Maya. He's done everything that he's needed to do. And it's interesting seeing how Dana White was talking about him as if he doesn't fight, where he was probably, other than Demetrius Johnson, who's also another, who was also another often maligned black man uh, who was a champion for the UFC. He was one of the more, Woodley was a, one of the more active champions with the title at, at the time. So, you know, the narrative against him, I always try to fight back against because we know that it's not 100% factual. We know there is a scripted piece of this. Um, looking at this fight with Usman, I've, Usman has, he's an intriguing character to me. Um, he's paired with Ali Adelzi, so we know that's a conversation within its own right. Um, Nigerian-born, so he is, definitely has that pride that he brings with him into the cage every time. I think he's an interesting fighter. Um, my view is I'm always, again, like I said, I'm always for the guys who are stirring things up both inside and out the cage. I don't think Usman is that guy. I would be interested in seeing what he would be like if he got the belt on his waist and had that power, had that little bit of leverage that they do have. But um, I still think Can that... Can question? Yeah, go ahead. I'm curious, and, and this isn't against Tyron Woodley. It's going to sound like I'm attacking him, but is Woodley really fighting for the rights of everybody, or is he just fighting because he's not getting his way? If Woodley was getting his way, would he be speaking so openly and so honestly? I, I... have that question I don't think so. I think that he's fighting. I think he's being loud for himself. I think he's being loud for himself. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't blame him. I don't blame him, but it's really hard for me when people take these moral high ground and it's not really, it's not really genuine. You know, it's like, like we've always said, when you're going to make a difference for fighters, it can't be the, it can't be the Leslie Smith talking about it. It's got to be the Ronda Rousey. It can't be the Joseph Benavides. It's got to be the GSP. And I'm not saying Woodley doesn't have a point. He shouldn't take care of his thing. But sometimes it's like he's fighting for a cause and he's using that cause to get his own his own mission completed. And I'm not saying he's fake. I'm not implying that. I'm just asking, if things were going better for him, would he have this need to push back against the UFC? If he was getting the fights he wanted, would he be like Uncle Dana, my good friend Dana, my good pal Dana, best sport in the world? I think what he would. I think I think what I think is different and look at the situation is that he has never actually called on he has never actually called the organization out for its you know buddying up with donald trump for its um willingness to allow fighters to be socially um socially inadequate you know the way they uh throw around the what is it seven letter f word the way they um like the toxic masculinity that you see within mixed martial arts and, and, and the UFC and that um, you've never seen Woodley kind of be open and outright against that. He's always talked out about how what type of negative treatment he himself has received and how that plays off of the fact that he's an African-American male, one of the few African-American men in the organization or, or at this level. So it's been that it's kind of, on it. not necessarily that I'm out here trying to be the Kurt Flood or the Craig Hodges for uh, MMA. It's like the this is going to be a, a broad comparison and it's not exact, but it's kind of like, you, you know, Nicki Minaj, right? Correct. When she has issues with her sales going down or her getting blackballed or her not getting her shot, it's women are getting disrespected, disrespected. 
I don't know, we need to stand up as women. You know, none of the women producers, none of the women, women artists. But when she was on top, she wasn't helping nobody. She didn't seem to care. But when, when her record stopped selling, when she stopped getting attention, all of a sudden it was us women, us black women, these people. These people aren't respecting us. They're not giving us our shine. They want to separate us. Dude, you didn't care. When you were you were on top, you didn't care. And I'm not saying Willie doesn't, but I just wonder if things were different and he was winning, would he be so vocal? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Doesn't it doesn't make him a bad guy. It's just it's a question that has to be asked. So let's talk about the fight itself, man. Um dive into this. We have two excellent wrestlers getting in there, but we have one guy who I think um in Willie, who is the better striker of the two, but break this fight down and tell me what you think. Well, I mean, in theory, Woodley's still a wrestler, but I haven't seen him wrestle nobody in a long time. I mean, like, he wrestled Steven Thompson for, like, what, a, half, a minute and a half in two fights? He doesn't really wrestle people anymore. And I'm not saying he doesn't have the skills to, but I really think he likes to control the pace and he doesn't want to overextend himself too much. So in doing that, he's very careful with how much energy he uses. And in wrestling, even if you're a dominant wrestler there's a chance you could overextend yourself and exhaust yourself. So he picks his spots with his wrestling. He uses it defensively to kind of keep you from taking him down, to lay on you and exhaust you in those wrestling exchanges, and to create opportunities for him to punish you with counter strikes. Um, the, biggest, the biggest issue Woodley's going to have is, with Usman is going to be similar to the issue Usman's going to have with Woodley. For once, they're facing a comparable athlete. There won't be as big a gap between either guy as far as their explosiveness their physical strength, or if you want to even talk about wrestling ability, the wrestling ability, that'll be closer. Guys won't be just be able to take somebody down left and right. You won't just be so much faster and so much more explosive, which means you're going to have to work a little bit harder to find your openings, a little bit harder to force your pace, a little bit harder to do every single thing that you want, you want to do in fights. Um, Usman's a good fighter, but the thing is he's very stiff on the feet. He throws, he throws combinations, but everything he throws is very predictable. It's very... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's very predictable combinations, very predictable setups. He's not great defensively. To me, he looks a little stiff and awkward on the feet defensively. And it's just that physically he's been able to take whatever anybody's thrown back at him. And I've said that through the um, RDA fight. I'm like, his defense isn't great. Rafael Desanos is getting to him on the feet. He just doesn't have the power to put him on his heels or to back him off. So if you don't have the power to hurt Usman, Usman's going to throw his combinations. He's going to get you into clinches, force you in these grappling exchanges where he can wear you down. Even if you're able to get back up or reverse position, he's going to keep pushing you until eventually you're worn out. That's when he starts opening up with his hands. That's when he starts taking down and really punishing you once you've exhausted your gas tank and you don't have anything left to be defensively responsible or to explode in and out of in a, in a, into good spots or out of bad spots. The, quest, the problem is defensively he's so vulnerable. And even though Woodley doesn't throw a lot, the four strikes that Woodley essentially throws, he is a master at throwing them. He's a master at setting them up. Woodley has the shortest, tool, the, the smallest toolbox in mixed martial arts, but he's the smartest guy in how he sets them up and how he uses it. And I think he's essentially too smart for Usman. Usman's got the athleticism. I think he's even a bigger fighter. And if he can get past the first or second round without taking too much heat, I feel he can drag Woodley through the, through the deep water and drown him. But the question is, is he going to be able to take Woodley's power to get him to that point? Is he going to be able to transition the distance from outside to inside to clinch without taking Woodley's power? Woodley's hit better strikers. 
he's hit more experienced fighters, he's hit better defensive fighters than Usman. So I can't imagine Usman is able to go five rounds and not get touched by Woodley. And I'm not too sure how his chin holds up when he gets hit with a guy who's essentially knocked out or hurt a who's who of welterweights in two organizations. What's interesting is that I just, uh, before we hopped on the show today, I was reading some previews about this fight here. And uh, I saw that Usman, excuse me, not Usman, well, excuse me, Woodley was picked to win via knockout in the second round. And it made me go back and wonder, looking through uh, Usman's uh, resume, and wonder who is the best striker that he's faced so far. Uh, I mean, is it Warley Alvarez? Maybe Damian Maya. I mean, not Damian Maya. Excuse me. Um, Rafael dos Anjos, or maybe Leon Edwards. Like, who is the best striker he's faced at this point in his UFC run? Uh, I'd probably say. Dos Anjos would probably be the best at this at this stage. The best based on consistency, level opposition, and the solidity of his game plan and his approach to fighting. I'd say RDA was the best. The biggest. I mean, a lot of guys are better strikers than than Woodley. What a lot of guys aren't. They're not as layered and they're not as smart as strikers. Woodley essentially has four weapons and he finds a way to make those four weapons dominate. Where people have fifteen weapons and they can't do anything with them. All Woodley does basically is he reads you, he has triggers, and he counters you and makes you pay for every every time you trip one of those triggers. He has a, he has a he, he has an answer for everything. And a lot of guys get so used to guys throwing a lot of combinations or pressuring them, Woodley just picks his spots and he basically puts people out with one or two shots and he controls them with his athleticism. It it's the simplest game plan in the world. It's the easiest game plan in the world, but con- time after time multiple camps and fighters have not been able to figure it out. Because they're used to having, they're used to guys giving them so many openings because they're throwing so many techniques. Willie keeps it really basic. He he gauges you, he controls the distance, and then he dictates whether he wants to explode forward to have you give him something, or he's going to let you come forward and he's going to find something in your entries. He's either going to find something on your exits when he pressures you, or he's going to find something on your entries when you come in. And and Usman's not very good at either one of those things, not entering or exiting. Now once Usman gets his hands on you that's when the work begins. He can get on strikes to the body, short uppercuts. He can tie you up in exchanges. And he's got a gas mach- gas tank where he can go five rounds, ha- a hard five rounds. But the question is, can he get in or get out clean? It's essentially the same situation Kane had with Ngannou. Can you get in and out clean before the power gets you? And unlike and unlike a Stipe against Ngannou, who had the defensive prowess, Usman has not shown that. And he's definitely not shown it against anybody who's got athleticism comparable to what Woodley's bringing to the table, even though Woodley's lost a step or two, a half step. Woodley's still one of the most dynamic fighters in division. If he picks up this win on Saturday, where does that submit him in the conversations about the greatest welterweight of all time? I can't say he's the greatest welterweight just because he hasn't been around long enough. I mean, he's fought, he's defended fairly well, but I mean, he, he doesn't have, for one, he doesn't have a big name, and two, even though, even when you look at the odds, and I picked against him before, when you look at the fights in hindsight, or even if you look at them at the mid, at the time they're happening, he's usually favored. I mean, there's there's usually clear, clear paths to victory for him. Unlike GSP, when he fought Johnny Hendricks, there wasn't a clear path to victory. When he fought um, Tiago Alves, there wasn't necessarily a clear path to victory. You could see ways that they, that he could be defeated. When he fought BJ Penn, BJ Penn had already pushed him to the limit a couple years before. So you had seen holes in, in GSP, and you've seen him navigate them and take away guys' strengths and bring out new tool sets, new, new skills 
to exploit guys with. Woodley's basically been doing the same two to three things in every fight. The, 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 what determines the fight is the two to three things, his explosiveness, his right hand, and his, his takedown defense. is essentially what's won him every single fight from, I don't know, the time he's been in the UFC to, to the time he's been a champion. If you really think about it, he hasn't shown a lot of wrestling chains, not a lot of all-round striking, not a lot of diverse counterpunching. It's really, I'm going to let you enter and hit you with the right hand. I'm going to kind of pressure you, hit you with the right hand. I might take you down here and there, but essentially the right hand setting up everything I do in my fight game. And the hardest part about it is he's so tricky and so masterful in how he sets it up. He's He studies people to the point where he knows exactly what you're going to do, and when you give him the opening, he closes the show. But he hasn't really shown a diversity of skills. He hasn't really beaten a diversity of fighters, and he hasn't beaten guys who people would favor over him. So until you're beating people who are even money with you or favored, it, it's hard to really say you're the greatest. Wasn't Tyson favored? Who? Wasn't Steven Thompson favored in in their first fight? I favored him. I don't know if he was favored as a whole, but I I, I favored him. I, I a lot of people I know said they didn't think Thompson was going to beat him. I, I I didn't I didn't know a lot of people. Maybe he was, but the, from what I understand, a lot of people did not think Thompson was going to beat him. They okay. wanted Thompson to beat him. But they didn't think he was going to. Interesting, interesting. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, the other welterweight fight on this card, where Woodley's teammate Robbie Lawler, or excuse me, uh, Ben Askren is facing off against Woodley's former opponent and former champion in Robbie Lawler. What's interesting about this fight is when it was booked, Askren pointed out that if the UFC wanted him to lose his first fight in, Robbie Lawler is the guy that they should have put him against. That's exactly who they put him up against. Is this a, I don't want to say a trap fight, or is this something akin to when Martin Ketman was the man who welcomed uh, Jake Shields into the UFC? This isn't a squash match in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's not. I mean, stylistically, it can't be. Robbie Lawler's always had trouble with people who were very grappling savvy. When the, the best guys he's faced as far as grappling, I mean, I remember Tim Kennedy ha- having him scared of getting in any sort of grappling exchange. Jake Shields did some work with him. So Lawler's never Lawler's best fights are against guys who are willing to engage on the feet with them. Even if they wrestle, they're it, they're willing to engage him where he wants to be engaged at. That goes for Cerrone, that goes for Hendricks, that goes for countless others, even Rory McDonald. Um, stylistically, that it should be an open and shut case. Ben Askren gets his hands on him, he takes him down and essentially just controls him to a decision or submits him. The question becomes now is how does Ben Askren handle a guy who's probably the best athlete he's fought, the biggest puncher he's fought, and the most accomplished fighter he's fought? I mean, the guys he's fought were good, but most of them were, what, second-rated best UFC fighters? None of them were anywhere near championship belts in the UFC. So we don't know what it's like when he takes real power. We don't know what it's like when he faces a guy who's faced fairly, who's faced high-level wrestlers. We don't know what he's like when he faces a guy who's got championship who in theory has championship composure and championship poise. We you know have what? No idea I'm going to pause right there because I do think that uh, Douglas Lima is someone who in, could could be a noisemaker um, in the UFC welterweight division. I think Jay Heron is a better athlete, in my opinion, than Robbie Lawler is. And also um, Andre Koreshkov. We've seen a lot of out of Koreshkov since that fight against um, – been asking so he's he's faced some pretty stout uh opponents in, in the past but i don't think i don't think anyone with the 
overall pedigree of a Lawler. I mean, I don't know if Robbie I think Lawler and, and, if if Lawler and Lima fought, I might pick Lima. At this stage, I pick Lima. Lawler from Lawler three years ago kills Lima, in my opinion. You think so? I, I, yeah, I, I think. I mean, if if Lima's going to be a top ten, he's in the lower part of the top ten. Lawler is now in the lower part of the top ten. Lawler was uh, at one point number one, at worst case number two or number three welterweight in the world. He was beating Condit, Carlos Condit when Carlos Condit was still Carlos Condit. He was beating Johnny Hendricks when Johnny Hendricks was still Johnny Hendricks. He's beating guys at the peak of their powers, and I'm not saying these guys aren't good, but they haven't they haven't been put through the ringer. Like like I've always said in Bellator, there's like five or six guys who are really good, and then it drops way off as far as their quality of opposition. In the world's weight division, the UFC, they got 10, 11, 12 guys who could who could beat the top three or four guys who 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 could who could pull that trick. So I'm not saying he's never faced some level of athleticism or some level of accomplishment, but by far Robbie Lawler would be the best opponent he's ever faced. If he fought Carlos Condit, Carlos Condit would be the best opponent he's ever faced. If he fought Johnny Hendricks around Johnny Hendricks' peak. Johnny Hendricks would be the best opponent he's ever faced. And those are all guys that Robbie Lawler has found a way to defeat. Even Tyron Woodley would be the very best guy he's faced. And even though Tyron Woodley beat would beat Lawler, he it's all guys that Lawler's fought. So Lawler's used to a certain caliber of opposition. And that's what I would, would think gives him a chance because he's been in these spots. He's faced good wrestlers. He know he he has an understanding of striking where he could set things up and counter in layers with feints drawing um using his jab drawing askren in because askren isn't a striking threat askren has to get into a certain range before he's anywhere near effective forcing takedowns or reaching for them or shooting from too far out against other guys it's not as dangerous against robbie lawler you don't want lawler catching you in a bad position you won't want lawler to see, see you on rubbery legs or see you stunned that always ends with lawler getting pulled off of you so there's not as much margin for error in this fight that Askren's used to dealing with. He's not, he hasn't fought a world-class opponent in how long? Two years? Three years? Who? I didn't hear you. I said he hasn't fought a world-class opponent in two or three years. So, I mean, I can't just assume that he's going to run over Lawler, but when you look at it stylistically, this should be a fairly open and shut case. The question is, how much does Lawler have left as far as, his athleticism, and is Lawler willing to fight a complete fight? Because when Lawler's on, he has smart footwork, he has depth counters, he has a good jab, he has good feints. But recently, Lawler's just been getting into brawls. And if he's just going to come out swinging, looking for an early KO, that's not going to work. He's going to end up giving Askren something, Askren's going to take him down and just do whatever he wants to him on the ground. I mean, Lawler might get up a couple times, but Askren should dominate. But if Lawler comes in there with a specific game plan, fighting with controlled aggression, there's a very likely chance he could extend the fight by keeping Askren on the feet, by giving him angles, circling away, and being a counterfighter, and he could expose Askren. But it depends on how dedicated Lawler is to fighting with disciplined aggression and using his full tool set. If he's willing to do that, he has a chance. If he's just coming in there looking to bang, he's gonna get he's gonna get dominated. Let me ask you this, man. Okay, Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley both win. What do we do with this weight class? Because they're not fighting each other. Uh, I mean, only nothing. I mean, law, if they both win, Askren's just going to keep on finding name guys to fight until Woodley moves up. Because Woodley has already talked about moving up. So we know there's a good chance that Woodley's not going to be here for another six. He's not going to be in this division a year from now. He wants to move. He's thinking about moving up to Windleway. So once he moves up, then um, you'll see Askren start 
fighting, wanting the title fights and calling people out. If Usman wins, you know the first fight um, he's going to ask for is to, to face him. They've already got a history. So that that's an automatic fight that makes itself. But as long, if both him and Woodley win, nothing's going to happen until Woodley moves up division. Do we find a way to get that 165-pound division? I can't imagine it. I, I don't know why the UFC would do it. They they don't seem to do do what's in the best in favor of the fighters. I don't know why they do it now. They never they never cared before. Huh, I, okay, all right. I want to move on to two other fights on on this card that kind of stand out to me. Um, and I want to touch upon this one. I don't think we'll have a whole lot to say about it. But Tisha Torres and and Willie Zhang. This is an interesting fight to me because Tisha Torres right now is a favorite. I think it's like a 155 to 115 underdog or something along those lines. But Zhang has been crushing women. Um, she comes in 18 and 1, I think, heading in, into this fight here. Is she someone that the UFC is pushing too fast? Because Tisha Torres is nobody's, like, she's nobody's pushover. Are they pushing her too fast or is this... Are we going to? Are we looking at a situation where we may be seeing a, a new contender come out come out of nowhere? Well, it seems to me the UFC is using this as a showcase fight. I like Tisha Torres. She she's tough. She's experienced. For for Wang for Zang, excuse me, because Torres Torres is is on a losing streak if I recall correctly, and it's Torres is a good athlete. She's got a good skill set. She's got conditioning. She's got durability. She's won some good fights, and she's been competitive against the best people in the division. But the fact of the matter is, Torres isn't a particularly damaging fighter. She's a busy fighter. She's not particularly damaging. She's got a smart style that's based more on scoring points and wearing you down than really punishing you or or just damaging you. So if if by some let's say Zhang loses this fight, she's going to get out hustled. She's going to get out wrestled. She's probably going to get out pointed on the feet. But she's not going to get knocked. She probably won't get knocked out. She won't be brutally submitted. She won't have her knee torn up. She won't have her leg torn up. If she gets outstruck, she's not going to be all busted up, broken jaw, busted nose, busted eye, orbital bone. She'll probably just get out-hustled, outworked, um, taken down, out-positioned, and lose a decision. So Torres is a step up, but she's a safe step up because she's a girl who can beat you, but not beat you in a manner that damages you or take or beat some of the world-class out of you. She'll beat you in a manner that'll educate you and teach you the holes in your game necessary for you to move to the next level. So Torres is probably the safest bet if you're trying to move up a prospect. She's the safest bet to fight because she's shown clear limitations, some of which are her height. I don't think she's fighting at the right weight class. She's not physically strong enough to, to fight at this weight class. She had issues with Beck Rawling. That should tell you all you need to know. She's, she's not physically, even as strong as she is, fighting bigger girls takes more out of the, the smaller person. Even if they're stronger, it takes more out because you're working twice as hard to move. She's not a big puncher. And as quick as she is and as mobile as she is, she's not good defensively. She gets hit a lot. So you're having her against a big, strong, physical, sharp-punching, punishing fighter, which is, is the kind of fighter she just lost to when she fought Jen Jadrick. It's a different kind of style, but it's the same mentality. It's, to a certain degree, the same kind of physicality, except Zane probably hits a little bit harder than, than Joanna at this stage. So they picked the fight for a reason. What's interesting is that you said that she's kind of like a gatekeeper, and I'm looking at her record here. She's lost to Nama Yunus, Andraj, and Joanna, the three women who have certified themselves as the top of the class when it comes to this strawweight division. Um, when I look at Zhang and I look at how she's fought in some of her past fights, she reminds me a lot of Andraj, like the way she 
throws with power and does not stop. That's what she reminds me a lot of. Are we looking at a situation where this fight may look a lot like the fight between Andrade and uh, Torres from 2018? Uh, there's a chance that I don't know that I don't know that the Zhang I don't know that she throws like Andrade is just she throws so much she throws her, her so hard. I see I see that I see that Zhang has a little bit better defense. She seems a little bit more composed than me. She seems like a a sharper striker to me. Andrade is a big physical girl. Who throws everything with every shot she's not particularly defensively sharp she, she, her footwork isn't great her strikes aren't particularly balanced or technical she gets by on aggression durability and, and just the huge physical advantages she just is smart 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 enough to fight in a manner that takes advantage of them um i don't know is it zang or is it zong am i saying it wrong i think it's zang zang she she seems a little bit more poised me when i see her fight she seems like she has a a broader skill set. She has a broader tool set, and she has a sharper tool set than Andrade. Yes, she's super physical. Yes, she's super aggressive. But there's some. She's an educated brawler. There's a little bit of craft behind what she does. She does. There's a little bit of a wider range of skills. Andrade doesn't really kick. Andrade doesn't really set her shots up. Andrade really isn't a sharp puncher. She kind of cuffs her cuffs people with her shots. She doesn't land them pinpoint. Zang shows that, and I think that's going to be the biggest difference. That's why I think Zang could have some more success. Against against Torres because Torres Torres isn't going to be getting the openings that she had with Andrade. She'll still land because Zang wants to be aggressive. She w- wants to land her shots, and if you're really aggressive and you're throwing hard and you're throwing with volume, you're going to get hit. But when you're throwing sharper punches and you're attacking the body and you're attacking the legs and you're a threat to get to threaten with submissions, it makes it a lot harder to try to pull the game plan on that Torres did. Torres tried to take Andrade down and kind of out wrestler and controller. And, and box her up and kind of mix it up. It's a little bit harder with somebody who could be a submission threat. It's a little bit harder with somebody who's a little bit lighter on her feet. It's a little bit harder with somebody who kicks and punches instead of somebody who just kind of loads up and throws bombs and gets her hands on you and just suplexes you. It, it's a little bit different. So I think Zang's the width of skill she has, and she's got a little bit deeper tool set than Andrade, but she's just as physical, maybe not just as athletic, but similarly physical and similarly bu- busy. I think she should essentially break Torres down over over the distance. Torres is just too small for this weight class. And when she's faced bigger punchers, more athletic girls, or more physical girls, she's constantly been exposed. And for some reason, her camp has her fighting like a total idiot. I mean, she's had some of the worst game plans in her last two or three fights that I can imagine. She just has ignored certain skill sets and focused on strategies that aren't going to win her fights against... It's like, it's like she didn't know who she was fighting. And they came up with some general game plan that just was not going to did, did not attack holes. It did not attack weak areas in a person's game. And if that's what she's going to continue to do, I fully expect her to see her get walked down, not finished, but definitely um, beaten within an inch of her life because she's not a knockout puncher. She's not a dynamic wrestler. She's not a control fighter, and she's not a submission fighter. She's essentially a, a high-impact, busy point fighter who gets by by out-hustling you, out-cardioing you, and, and pulling away late in fights. She's not a finisher. So if she can't hurt this girl, she can't put her in a submission threat, she can't completely control it on the ground, what is she exactly planning to do? So the last question I want to ask about this fight here is, is is Zhang a contender? If she beats her, they're going to put her as a contender. I still think you should move her slowly. I think Torres is a good test to find out Zhang's IQ because if if you're going to be a dumb fighter and load up and run in on Torres, Torres is going to take advantage of it. If you have shortcomings as far as being disciplined in how you set up your shots, and you're just going to come forward. Torres is going to get out of position. 
and she's going to ding you up. She ain't going to really hurt you, but she's going to ding you up. She's got enough skill and enough experience and athleticism that she can take advantage of stupid fighting, a stupid approach to fighting or a low IQ fighter. So this is a safe fight for her, but I don't think that beating Torres at this stage makes you a contender. It means that you're ready for the next level, the next level in the division, but that's not the elite girls. You need, they need to put her in another fight, maybe have her face a fleece Herrick next. Someone who's got skill, who's got a skill set, but who's not a dominant athlete or necessarily a dominant fisher, a person with a good skill set, good base of experience, and a good um, IQ and and a good IQ as far as fighting. But you don't put her in with the the killers yet. She still hasn't. She won't have proven herself now. Even if she finishes Torres, I don't say you put her in with killers. You give her another two developmental fights, and then you put her in with with a name person. Because so, it's really going to ruin a prospect by moving her too quickly. And I know she's skilled. I know she's good. But I'm into building prospects so when they get their best, they get their chance, they're ready to perform. Especially building prospects for the a- a- Asian market. I definitely do agree with you. I think that they need to move s- slower with them. We saw what we saw what they did to Dung, not Dung Young Kim. Um, who's the guy that fought Cup Swanson and then fought Drake? Korean, Su- Korean Superboy. Yes, they, we saw what they, what they did with him, and they gave him too much too fast, and now he may never be the same again. So um, I do but think his, that they, his, his division is a little bit tougher because the guy's division is deeper. My whole thing is the more wins you get her, the better prepared she is because the, the gap between the elite girls and the rest of them in women's division is huge. So if she's not completely ready, she hasn't really addressed holes, she hasn't really looked at how her fights have gone, and she's not developing in the right direction – when she gets to those elite, it is going to be a hard, hard stop. I mean, what are you going to do? Put her in with Andrade next? Put her in with Rose Nama Yunus next? That's a big jump. You That's let her get, you let her build her fan base by continuing to give standout performances and build and develop, and then you make her take the jump. You have to learn to develop fighters at some point if you are a successful organization. And if her, if the UFC pushes her, her camp should say no. We're going to take this long road. Do what you need to do. If you want to make us wait two or three years, we'll wait two or three years. We have faith in the actual fighter, and not enough management teams and camps are willing to say that. Have faith in your product and let her take her time to get where she needs to get. There's no rush to be a champion. There's a there. You want to stay a champion long. You don't want to get to it quick. You want to stay long. Getting in the house ain't is no big deal. Getting the house ain't no big deal if you lose it two years because you're broke. Getting married ain't no big deal if you get divorced six months later. It's getting into it and being successful in it. So the last fight I want to talk about is another former champions on the card in uh, Cody Garbrandt, and he's facing Pedro Munoz. And something that stood out to me is actually a tweet that came from neither fighter. It came from Aljamain Sterling, who, and he was talking about how Pedro Munoz is one of those guys that you fight and you never look good against win or lose because he just makes you fight a dirty and ugly fight. Is that a good way to, to, to describe Pedro Munoz? Yes. Munoz is durable. He's got good grappling. He's not a super slick or high level striker, but he's got a, he's got a defined identity as a striker and he's tough enough and gritty enough that you're not just going to scare him off of one or two shots. You're not just going to keep him at the range you want. You're not going to be dancing around the cage free and clear. You're going to have to fight him and you're going to have to, take some to get some. So you, he's not a guy. The main thing is he's so durable and he's so willing to engage, whether it's off of a takedown attempt, he'll chase one even if he's getting struck, he'll exchange with you if you want to get into striking exchanges, 
And if you're just going to leave openings for him, he's going to take full advantage of them. He doesn't. He doesn't have the constitution of a lot of fighters. Who it's weird that you think a lot of fighters are the toughest guys in the world, but a lot of them get scared off fairly easy once they start feeling that heat. Munoz has not shown to be one of those fighters. So let's talk about that then. Is is this an, is this a showcase fight for Cody Garbrandt? The thing about Cody is Cody's a good fighter. He's one of the best athletes in the UFC. I mean, he's from Team Alpha Male, and he might be a better athlete than Prime Chad, Chad Mendes and Prime Uri Favor. That's how dynamic he is. He's one of the biggest hitters in the division. I mean, he, he when he hits people, they stay hit. The problem with him is his chin has not shown any sort of stability. You can't depend on it. I mean, Dominic, Dominic Cruz, people missed it, but Dominic, Dominic Cruz almost had him on skates. Dominic Cruz doesn't hit for power. He hits for average. And TJ Dillashaw is, is, even though he knocked him out, TJ Dillashaw is not a big hitter. TJ Dillashaw hit the, hit the weight-drained zombie of Hennon Burrell with a 40-punch combination before he stopped him. He beat up another weight-drained weight Burrell for four rounds before he stopped him. He hit Joe Soto with everything but the kitchen sink for four rounds before he stopped him. TJ Dillashaw is not some kind of killer as far as striking power. He, he just isn't. And he iced Cody, knocked him out, clean out. So you can't ever say that Cody's chin is what it what even average. And when you don't have an even average skin chin, there's everybody's a risk. Everybody's a danger. There's no safe fights anymore. So they have to throw him back into a tough fight because there's no safe fight because you don't know how good his chin is. You don't know what he can take. Anybody who can crack might get him out of there. Rivera, um, Peter Yan, uh, Marais. Asuncio, there's just a lot of guys who can hit hard enough who might be able to put him away. So you're forced to put him in a tough matchup, and you're forced to possibly ruin his career as an elite fighter in the UFC because he's so vulnerable in that area that you can't afford to do anything else but put him in against a name so that if he loses, it's not as big a hit as losing to a number 12 or 16th ranked guy. Mm, I mean, you pretty much broke that down there because I'm interested in seeing what what Garbrandt show what Garbrandt shows up and returns um and tries to get I back say, to that title picture. I will say one thing. I, I honestly think Garbrandt can win this. I think he probably does win this. The thing that separated Garbrandt, I know he came from Team Alpha Male and Justin Buckholtz isn't a bad coach. He's not. I'm not impressed with what he did with Calvillo, but he's a smart guy. He understands fighting. But what separated Garbrandt from the guys who kept getting beat up by Dominic Cruz is Garbrandt could box. He made Cruz lead and I've been saying that for the past six damn years i tweeted team alpha male i tweeted fires i'm like stop leading on this dude that's why y'all get beat up you're running at him and then he counters you and takes you down make him lead he can't box he can't avoid combinations make him lead and they laughed at me and they said i was an idiot it was on twitter everybody saw it and then the minute cody fights him cody just used jabs made dominic come to him countered him to the body came over the top with the right hand hit him with left right just walked him into all sorts of shots, dropped him multiple times, outpaced him to a decision. And all he did was counter him. Cody Garbrandt can box. He's got a boxing background. He has good footwork. He has sharp combinations. He has sharp counters. But for some reason, he let his team get into his head and he started fighting that team alpha male striking, which is very attribute-based and very wide open and very loose. If he gets back to doing what he did before with the feints, with the footwork, with the counter shots, with the crisp punches, with the short combinations, he's going to catch Munoz. Munoz throws a lot of naked kicks. Munoz has a good chin, so he's willing to get into exchanges. Now, that doesn't mean Cody gets into him, but that means he's there to get hit. You hit him, you get out. 
you hit him, you get out. No matter how hard you hit him or how easy it is to hit him, you never stay in. You just get out and let him do the damage to himself. Cody has the poise. He has the discipline. He just has to not let his team get super emotional when he hurts somebody and tell him to go in for the kill and walk into a KO shot like he did against, against Dillashaw. If he can maintain some emotion, emotional discipline and use the skills that got him the title, he'll be good. He's got enough wrestling to, t- to defend takedown. He's got good enough kicks to at least challenge him in that realm. And his hands are the fastest and most powerful in division, in two division. All he has to do is fight with some, some common sense. But he's a team alpha male, and they don't always do that. But I'm going to say that Cody's a smart enough guy. He's learned his lesson, and he's going to come and show something different, show something what he did before, and he's going to win this fight. Probably by KO off a counter, probably off of a kick. Good, good, good breakdown here, sir. So let me ask you another question, man. What else are you looking forward to? And let the people know what you're working on this week. Um, the I'm, I'm interested to see how the Jeremy Stevens fight goes, um, seeing that he came back from the issues he was having. I'm not really sure I... I'm fond of him fighting at this stage because if somebody had been suicidal or thought about suicide, I don't know if I place him in a cage fight. I know the training and the being around your teammates gives you a lot of motivation and a lot of, uh, you know, energy. It makes you feel good. But getting possibly KO'd or choked out, I mean, I've never competed, but just even in a sparring session, it could really shake your confidence. It could really shake your view of yourself. If you get dominated or you lose in a certain kind of way, and um, I don't know that I exposed somebody who had just come out and said that I had been considering suicide or I'd been in a real dark place. Do you allow them to go into a cage where you're going to be as exposed as a human being c- can possibly be in the world? So I'm, I'm interested to see how that fight goes. Um, I'd like to see what Zabit has to offer. Um, I think he's a good prospect. Um, he's probably more of a better grappler than he is a striker. He, he's very flashy offensively, not great defensively. So I'm hoping to see a little bit more of his skills. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to see that Jeremy Stevens has shows a little bit more growth in his game. At this point, I guess he is who he is. But I like to see a little bit more discipline and maybe a little bit more diversity in how he does what he does. Because if he does, he, he wins. Otherwise, it's, it's, it could be a very embarrassing and very humbling loss. And I don't know that he's in the mental or emotional state where he can afford to have that kind of loss on a big stage, on a very big car where everybody's watching. Good, good, good. And, um... What else? What to tell everybody what you're working on for this week? I'm gonna be finishing up these articles where I'm talking about what your management team is supposed to do, and a reminder article, like a refresher course for people who were fighters. Like these are the things your camp should be doing. If your camp is not doing these things, you either need to find another camp to work with, like separately, or you need to find another camp to to kind of get those things. You can stay with your camp, but you got you got to be doing these things, and a lot of camps aren't doing them. And I'm not saying it because I know these guys. I'm saying it because I watch their fighters. And from year one to year four, there is no improvement. Same holes, same strengths. I mean, I mean nothing, dude. They're losing the same way. They're winning the same way. And, and in a sport like this, you, the best guys don't win and lose the same ways. They show, they show poise. They show mental growth. They show strategical growth. They show technical growth. That's where you see the John Joneses, the Rose Nama Unises, even, um, even uh, Khabib's to a certain degree, Tony Ferguson's. You see the growth. You see, you see the maturation. Even Amanda Nunes. Some of these people are just getting ripped off by their team. They're paying these guys to they're paying guys to get them beat up. They're paying them a large salary and get them a free hotel room so they can get their ass kicked on national TV or on pay-per-view. And they're paying these guys for this and they're not doing a damn thing for them. I mean, yeah, the management scene is something interesting. I've, I've been wanting to write about that as well, so I'm definitely looking forward to 
your piece. And as always, you know, I'm covering everything from mixed martial arts to uh, professional wrestling as well. So be sure to catch all of the content that I put out there. Shawan, let everybody know where they can find your um, where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and uh, find me. You'll be finding me on MMA ratings once my articles come out. Should be this week, early this week, maybe late next this week. And also, um, everybody who congratulated me, thank you very much. Uh, recently, I had a I can't say who it was, but a camp somebody connected to a camp actually sent me money based on a, a report I did, a scouting report I did, and they used it for a fight. And they wanted it was a, fem- a female fighter. Can talk about it. I can't say who. But it's somebody I did a breakdown with over, and they liked it, and they used it as their their blueprint to win. And they're like, you know what? We saw a rant you went on. We're like, we should pay you because, you know, you basically set the tone for us to win this. But they can't give me credit because it would look stupid for a guy from Twitter to be giving directions to world-class coaches and fighters, I guess. So money. Money's cool. <laughs> all right, well. That's all we got for this week, folks. Um, Thank you again for listening to our content. Please be sure to like and share everything MMA ratings that you see on on, uh, social media. And also subscribe to our channel, guys. We're trying to grow our user base this year, our viewership this year. So please be sure to subscribe to our channel and um, come back and catch us this week. Uh, We'll be back next Wednesday. I have have a podcast going up probably Thursday or, or excuse me, Friday or Saturday, uh, the pro wrestling podcast I missed on Wednesday. So just be sure to catch us and be sure to um, check us out each and every week. Yeah, we love you guys and just keep on supporting us. We're going to give you the best product we can possibly give you. And thanks, everyone. And have a great night. All right. Take it easy, man.